0: P.D. Heart, Pediatric Cardiology Today. My name is Dr. Robert Pass and I'm the host of this program. I am professor of pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, where I am the chief of pediatric cardiology. Thank you very much for joining me this week for the 113th episode of the podcast. I hope all had an opportunity last week to listen to our episode number 112 on the issue of sleep apnea and obesity and the impact these have on blood pressure in the young. We spoke with Associate Professor of Pediatrics Joseph Magarefte of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx, New York. For those of you with an interest in preventative cardiology, I'd strongly recommend you take a listen to last week's episode 112. As I say each week, if you'd like to get in touch with me, it's easy to remember my email. It's pdhart at gmail.com. I hope everybody is doing well during this very difficult pandemic time here in New York City. We're quite strapped, but I thought it would be useful to continue the podcast as best as I can with the goal of providing a brief reprieve in the middle of all of this COVID-19 information. This week, we're moving on to a very interesting article in a completely different area of cardiology, specifically the world of adult congenital heart disease. The title of the work we'll be reviewing is Preventing Complications in Pregnant Women with Cardiac Disease. The first author of this work is Birkett Foller and the senior author is Kansas Silversides and this work comes to us predominantly from the University of Toronto Division of Cardiology. When we're done reviewing this paper, Professor Kansas Silversides has kindly agreed to speak with us about this work. Therefore, let's get straight onto the article and then our discussion with Dr. Silversides this week's work begins with some comments about the fact that pregnancy is a major stress on the cardiovascular system and if one has heart disease these stresses can lead to cardiovascular and obstetrical complications with prior work suggesting a 5 to 15 percent incidence of cardiovascular complications in this group most of the time these cardiovascular complications are not severe however serious or life-threatening complications can occur And perhaps most importantly these are often preventable complications with prior work suggesting that roughly a third of these might be prevented few studies have reviewed non-fatal serious cardiac events amongst women with heart disease who are pregnant and so the aim of this study was to determine the actual incidence of serious or life-threatening cardiac and obstetrical complications in pregnant women with heart disease to figure out what percentage were preventable, and to also finally examine the impact of these serious cardiac events on the fetus and neonate. This was a prospective cohort of pregnant women with heart disease recruited in Canada as part of the so-called CAREpreg cohort, or the Canadian Cardiac Disease and Pregnancy Study between 2004 and 2014, and the patients were recruited in two very large tertiary centers in Toronto and Vancouver. The authors reviewed all adverse cardiac and obstetric events during pregnancy and up to six months postpartum, and the aim again was to only study events deemed serious or life-threatening. A serious cardiac event in this work was defined as cardiac death or arrest, serious arrhythmia such as VT, admission to a CCU with heart failure, aortic dissection, myocardial infarction, CVA, mechanical valve thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, endocarditis, or urgent cardiac interventions needed. A similar list of serious obstetrical events were also reviewed, including such diseases as HELP syndrome, preeclampsia, and many other pregnancy-related obstetrical complications. Adverse fetal and neonatal outcomes were also assessed. For this work, the authors looked at preventable events and used an adjudication system if specific preventable factors could be identified using a previously established tool. And for this work, a preventable event would be those classified as preventable as well as probably or possibly preventable versus those that were not preventable. And on to the results. Overall, there were 1,315 pregnancies in this cohort, and of these, 17% or 222 were complicated by an adverse maternal cardiac event, of which 3.6% or 45 total pregnancies were complicated by a serious cardiac event. Factors associated with serious cardiac events were, first, women diagnosed with acquired heart disease, second, women with high-risk native valve lesions, third, patients with mechanical valves, fourth, women with at least mild systemic ventricular dysfunction, and New York Heart Association Class 3 of 4, and finally, those with cyanosis. There were five maternal deaths, and the diagnosis of these patients were LTGA, DTGA with Arasteli, mechanical aortic valve patient, and non-obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. One woman with an AV canal that had been repaired but who had severe AV valve regurgitation underwent surgery to repair this urgently in the postpartum period and died in the postoperative period. Of the five deaths, Four were secondary to cardiac arrests, and it should be noted that four other women did survive cardiac arrest. CHF requiring admission to an intensive care unit, serious arrhythmias, and urgent interventions were the most common serious cardiac events occurring in 1.7% of pregnancies, or 23 of the 1,315 pregnancies in this work. The urgent cardiac interventions were valvuloplasty in three, urgent valve surgery in two, surgical remover of a cardiac tumor in two, and closure of a large ASD in a symptomatic woman with elevated pulmonary pressure and reduced RV function. Finally, an aortic root replacement was performed for aortic dilation in a woman with Marfan syndrome. Congestive heart failure requiring ICU admission occurred mostly in women with acquired heart disease or newly diagnosed cardiomyopathy. Importantly, serious cardiac events mostly occurred in the antepartum period, with 33 or 66% of these events occurring in that time period. Congestive heart failure and heart failure in general were more commonly seen in the third trimester or early postpartum period. Interestingly, women who had serious cardiac events were more likely to have been undiagnosed prior to pregnancy compared to those without severe cardiac events, 32% versus 4%. When the authors used the so called CarePreg 2 risk score, which is an index that the same group developed to assess risk for cardiac problems in pregnancy, they found that serious cardiac events were more common in pregnancies who had higher care 2 risk scores, with 60% occurring in women with risk scores greater than or equal to 4. Perhaps not surprisingly, length of stay was 14 days longer for pregnancy in women with serious cardiac events versus those who did not, 17 days versus 3 days. When looking at the question of whether these events were preventable, the authors believed that 23 of the 47 events, or nearly one-half, were preventable and the most common preventable events were either urgent cardiac interventions or congestive heart failure in roughly one-half of these preventable cases. The author stated that roughly three-quarters were largely related to healthcare provider management errors or factors such as failure to identify the high-risk patient or underlying condition prior to pregnancy, late recognition of cardiovascular deterioration, or treatment not matching best practices. In regards to the relationship between serious cardiac events and poor perinatal events, there was, in fact, a significant relationship, as adverse fetal and neonatal events were more common in pregnancies with serious cardiac events compared to those who had non-serious cardiac events or those with no cardiac events, specifically 62% versus 32% or 29% respectively. In regards to serious obstetrical events— 22 pregnancies in this cohort, or 1.7%, were complicated in this manner, with the most common being preeclampsia with severe features. There was no clear association between serious cardiac events and serious obstetrical events. In their discussion, the authors have a wonderful central illustration, which is one of the nicer features of all articles in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, and they show clearly that 3.6% of all of the pregnancies in this work were had a serious cardiac event, and of these, 49% were preventable serious cardiac events, and the authors demonstrate that the majority of these were provider management-related factors, and these factors were largely, first, failure to identify the condition prior to pregnancy, second, failure to identify high risk, third, late recognition of cardiac deterioration, fourth, delay in treatment or intervention, fifth, inappropriate treatment, And finally, sixth, no preconception counseling provided. I would strongly recommend that all who have an opportunity to read this paper specifically look at this wonderful diagram, which is on page 1449. The authors explain that the incidence of serious cardiovascular events of 3.6% in this work is very high and that these rates of serious complications are substantially higher than the general population, explaining that prior works have shown cardiovascular mortality of pregnancy to be in the range of 2.3 to 8.2 per 100,000 live births, which is markedly lower than the cardiovascular mortality rate in this work, which was more akin to four per 1,000 deliveries of those with cardiac disease, and they state that this fact should easily highlight the critical importance of preconception counseling by an experienced pregnancy heart team in order to make proper informed decisions regarding pregnancy. The investigators also emphasize how most of these events occurred prior to delivery and labor, and that this somewhat flies in the face of the perceived knowledge that most efforts should be focused on safe labor and delivery in this patient group but certainly at least equal attention should be paid to the time prior to delivery. They state also how important it is that obstetricians be attuned to the signs and symptoms of cardiovascular disease given how many of these patients were only diagnosed after already being pregnant. The authors comment about the fact that preventable events were more common in community-based, smaller, non-study centers, and they review why they think that this might be. And they conclude this work by stating, Pregnant women with heart disease are at risk for serious and life-threatening cardiac and obstetric complications. Approximately one-half of these cardiac events are preventable. Strategies to prevent serious maternal cardiac complications in this high-risk cohort of women need to be developed. Well, this is, of course, a very important work, though it is perhaps not entirely germane to ACHD, as many of these patients had other forms of acquired disease. However, as our patient group makes up a large percentage of this overall cohort, I thought it important to review this work this week. It is certainly disheartening to know that so many of these events are preventable, and I do wonder if this is as common amongst the congenital cardiac patient in whom there is often pre-pregnancy ACHD care. It's quite obvious that good pre-pregnancy assessment and counseling is critical in providing adequate and good advice to the heart patient who's contemplating pregnancy, and developing strategies to properly prepare for this is clearly a team sport between the MFM experts and heart team. I wonder what sort of team Dr. Silversides believes is essential in this process, and also what sort of workup she would generally perform in all of these patients. I well remember years ago the landmark paper of George Louis on the importance of exercise stress testing to help predict candidacy for a safe pregnancy, and I look forward to speaking with such a wonderful expert as Dr. Silversides to understand her perspective on this complex topic of which she is such an expert. Therefore, at this time, let's move straight on to our discussion with Dr. Kansas Silversides. Joining us now to discuss this paper is the senior author, Dr. Kansas Silversides. Dr. Silversides is Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Toronto. She received her MD degree from the University of Manitoba and completed postgraduate training at the University of Toronto and the Harvard School of Public Health. She's currently a cardiologist at Mount Sinai and Toronto General Hospitals in Toronto, Canada, and specializes in the care of pregnant women with heart disease, adult congenital heart disease, and echocardiography. She is also the head of obstetric medicine program at the University of Toronto and research director of the Toronto Congenital Cardiac Center for Adults. It is a great pleasure and honor to have Dr. Silversides join us this week on the podcast. Welcome, Professor Silversides here now with Dr. Kansas Silversides. Dr. Silversides, thank you so very much for joining us this week on the podcast.
1: Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: It's our pleasure. Very much enjoyed this extremely important work. Congratulations to you and your co-investigators. Before we get going specifically with the paper per se, I wonder if you might be able to summarize for the audience, what are the risks of pregnancy for women with heart disease in general? We
1: all didn't think of them into three big broad categories. We think of the maternal cardiac risks, then we think of the obstetric risks, and finally the fetal and neonatal risks. So from a cardiac perspective, um, women, most commonly, the most common complications are arrhythmias and heart failure. Some women will uh, be at increased risk for thromboembolic complications. Rarely, maternal death is an issue, but luckily it is rare. So those are the kind of cardiac uh, risks we think about. Mm-hmm. From an obstetric point of view, women are at increased risk for postpartum hemorrhage. Some women, for instance, with coarctation of the aorta may be at higher risk of preeclampsia. And so those are factors we talk to a woman about as well, not just their cardiac risks. And then finally, there's a risk for the baby as well. The most common complications are um, prematurity and small for gestational age babies. But again, also there are some cardiac uh, conditions where babies are at risk for recurrent miscarriages, obviously in women with congenital heart disease, inherited arrhythmias, or inherited cardiomyopathies, uh, the genetics and the transmission of heart disease to offspring is an issue. So there are a number of factors we think about it, but as, or we think about, excuse me, but we tend to think of it in those three big broad categories.
0: I see. Now your paper this week deals mostly with uh, and specifically with serious complications, I'm wondering how often are these complications serious?
1: Yeah. So, if you look at most of the literature on pregnancy in women with pre-existing heart disease, cardiac complications tend to happen somewhere between ten to twenty percent of pregnancies. Most of the time, it's heart failure that you can treat simply or arrhythmias that you can treat with medications, and they tend not to be serious, but a proportion of those women will develop serious complications in pregnancy. In our paper, we found that 3.6% of pregnancies were associated with a serious cardiac complication.
0: Kansas, your work shows that roughly half of the serious events that you identified during pregnancy in patients with heart disease were actually preventable. I'm wondering if you might be able to comment on this finding and particularly where you believe most of the improvements in this area can come in the future.
1: So as I said, most women will do well. I think that's the starting point. But as I mentioned, 3.6% will develop a serious cardiac complication while they're pregnant. Um, and half of those we found were preventable or possibly preventable. Um, the most common complications that we found p- preventable were heart failure or the need for urgent interventions and i'll give a few examples in a moment but Great. just in comparison what we found was that women who developed serious arrhythmias or had mis during pregnancy those were much less likely to be preventable so it did seem with the preventable complications they seemed to be certain ones that were more likely to be preventable than others yep. so for instance uh, for women that developed heart failure you know some examples of preventable uh, scenarios were women who came in with shortness of breath had a diagnosis of congenital heart disease or cardiomyopathy and weren't picked up that they were in heart failure and called anxiety or some other diagnosis okay. or women that were in heart failure weren't transferred from a smaller center to a tertiary care center where perhaps they could get more kind of advanced heart failure care. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things we saw from a heart failure perspective. Interventions, uh, or The need for urgent intervention occurred in scenarios where women, say, had a significant valve lesion like aortic stenosis that wasn't addressed prior to the pregnancy or Marfan syndrome with a dilated root that wasn't identified prior to the pregnancy. So those are the type of examples. Now, beyond the specifics related to heart failure or the need for urgent interventions, you know, there's also the standard type of um, uh, preventable um, factors. So for instance, some women were inappropriately anticoagulated that had mechanical valves, or other women just were non-compliant with treatment or non-compliant with their visits. And So there's a whole long list of different complications that occur for different reasons. Um, it's hard to pinpoint it on one specific preventable issue, but, uh, but we did identify a number of them
0: certainly seems like there were definitely a number of trends in there you know it it seems to me that and i I, although i'm not an achd doctor i certainly have a lot of interaction with them i work with dr ali Zaidi at mount sinai who's a very prominent figure like yourself and it's obvious to me that clear and continuous communication between the obstetrician and the cardiac team is critical in properly managing the pregnant cardiac patient I was wondering if you might be able to share with us who you believe are the important people that should make up the care team for a patient who has heart disease and is pregnant. And how do you practically communicate with one another when you're caring for a woman in this situation?
1: Yeah, so I often tell the trainees that it's a team sport. So it really does require people with different uh, expertise. You know, you do need a cardiologist that has some expertise in pregnancy and heart disease because there are things you have to, knowledge you need to acquire and things you have to get familiar with um, treating. You know, It gets a little tricky with adult congenital heart disease patients, because I think you also need some background in adult congenital heart disease outside of the pregnancy and heart disease realm, and, and certainly the original cohort of docs that looked after pregnant women with heart disease were often ACHD docs because they were naturally following their own patients. Yes. The other important member of the team is obviously the Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist, um, and again, it's good to have a Maternal Fetal Medicine specialist who has some expertise in pregnancy and heart disease. The obstetric anesthetists are really critically important to help uh, the patient get through labor and delivery. And I think we often don't think of it enough, but certainly the nurses in the clinics and the nurses on labor and delivery are frontline caregivers and they have to be comfortable for not only the obstetric component of care, but also dealing with the cardiac component of care. And then there's also other members of the team that will come in as necessary. So for instance, Genetics may be involved. Hematology may be involved, and in some cases, neonatologists will be involved.
0: That's a that's a very nice and clear description. Thank you. You know, your work found that serious cardiac events seem to be associated with worse fetal or newborn outcomes, but did not appear to affect obstetrical complication rates. Could you comment on why you think this might be?
1: Uh, well, I think there's been a number of studies that shown maternal health impacts fetal health. Um, So for instance, uh, women that have acute decompensation will have adverse fetal and neonatal outcomes. Um, The mechanisms by which those happen I think are not well understood. There's some data that shows that cardiac output, um, maternal cardiac output that is, may affect fetal and neonatal complications. There's other maternal health factors. There may be placental factors, genetic factors, the impact of cardiac medications on fetal health. But but i think we don't often truly understand exactly the mechanisms involved although there's lots of potential players um so we do know a fair bit about maternal health and how maternal cardiac health and how it impacts fetal health i think the question as to the obstetric side of things we didn't specifically look at that very closely in our study We did look at very serious obstetrical complications, and the main one we found was preeclampsia with severe features, so that's preeclampsia where you either have CNS involvement or liver involvement or multi-organ involvement, Mm. and in that scenario where we had really severe preeclampsia, two-thirds of those babies had complications, the most common being prematurity and and low birth weight, Um, but certainly for the very serious obstetric complications, it does seem to impact the baby. Um, and we just didn't look at all obstetric complications. The more, you know, the the more benign ones, and what their impact on on fetal and neonatal complications were in detail.
0: I see. Well, Dr. Silversides, I'm very appreciative of your joining us this week. I'm gonna wrap it up with our final question. When you're assessing a patient and their candidacy for pregnancy, in the ideal world, recognizing there is no such thing what sort of cardiovascular evaluation do you perform prior to the decision to become pregnant which I assume you try to make with the parents or the or
1: the, the the patient yeah so preconception counseling is really critical it allows women to understand what they're getting into it allows them it allows them to make an informed decision about if they want to have a pregnancy and it also allows you an opportunity to perhaps um, suggest an intervention if in fact that will improve the um, improve the outcome of the pregnancy or modify any medications that may be teratogenic so there's a lot of different things the preconception visit will accomplish in terms of how you go about it you know we often tackle it kind of again in a systematic way we talk about um, the risk factors the maternal risk factors that we know are associated with adverse maternal and fetal and neonatal outcomes yes. and there's Large. We have a number of risk scores that we use. One that came from Toronto is called the CARPREG risk score, but it's based on baseline maternal clinical variables, echocardiographic variables, and even variables like delivery of care, making sure they get care early and proper surveillance throughout pregnancy. Those are things that predict how women will do. So you kind of go through the general predictors that we know are associated with adverse outcomes and you tally them up for any given patient. And then you integrate a few more things you actually think about a specific lesion. So for instance, a Fontan has some unique risks associated with pregnancy. The risk of postpartum hemorrhage is high, the risk of recurrent miscarriage is high in that population. And and although they may not be in a general risk score that we use, they're actually uh, risks that are specific to the Fontan that are important to discuss that with that woman. And then finally, you know, it's not all just about risk scores and what we know in the literature, but you still are, you have to be a good clinician and you factor in other things like what their MRI looks like, which is particularly important if they have congenital heart disease or what their exercise test looks like. And you try and integrate all the other information you have available to make an assessment about what the risks will be and as i said then what you do is make sure that's communicated properly to the patient so that she can make the right decision for her about whether or not she wants a pregnancy
0: well that was a wonderful description and discussion of uh, all of the different factors that go into evaluating a patient prior to the decision to become pregnant Thank you very much, Dr. Silversides. I want to congratulate you again and your co-investigators on a really wonderful paper that has significantly added to the literature. And I want to thank you again for coming onto the podcast this week. I know everybody's going to be very excited to hear your comments this week
1: thank you for allowing me to be part of it
0: appreciate it have a wonderful evening well as i'm often fond of saying when the guest is good there's not a whole lot to say dr silversides was quite eloquent in her description of the paper as well as cardiac disease and pregnancy and i think her comments about how she thinks about the pregnant patient with heart disease were very illuminating and gave us a good framework to think about patients going forward And I think the importance of pre-pregnancy planning was clearly an important concept that she wanted to impress upon us this evening. I'm most appreciative of Professor Silversides this evening for joining us to discuss this work with us. To conclude our 113th episode of the podcast, we'll hear the wonderful American tenor Matthew Polanzani sing the beautiful Schubert song, Frulinsglaube which means faith in spring. What better hope could we have at the present time? This little song ends with the words, the world grows fairer each day. We cannot know what is still to come. The flowering knows no end. The deepest, most distant valley is in flower. Now, poor heart, forget your torment. Now all must change. I'd like to thank you for joining me this week for our 113th episode. I wish everybody safety and strength in their work. And I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Silversides for her wonderful contribution. I'll see you all next week for episode 114.
2: Nun, armes qual. Nun